Okay, I know this is Magic Kingdom. I'm in Fantasyland. I just got off the Space Mountain. It's Tomorrowland. Where's, where's Harry Potter World? I really want to find Harry Potter Mickey. Is he here? What time's the 3 o'clock parade? Oh, hello. How are you guys doing? I'm sure you all know this because of my great acting skills. I was a tourist just then. Yeah, I know how we all love tourists for their great driving skills, the fact that they never ask dumb questions, they don't invade and crowd our city with traffic. We love tourists. Or maybe we don't, I don't know. I am from Branson, Missouri, um, and, and in Branson, Missouri is another tourist town. It's a town of 10,000 people, and it has 8 million tourists a year. Um, which is crazy. And so we grew to not enjoy tourists um, growing up. We didn't really enjoy the traffic that they caused and the questions that they ask and, and all the crazy things that go on with tourism. So I decided it'd be better to move to a city that has even more tourists every year. I don't know what happened. I don't really know what I was thinking, where God was on that one. But yes, I am. I'm here in Orlando. And I'm actually one of the teaching pastors here at Mosaic. My name is Brady. Uh, I'm the campus pastor of our Campus for Walt Disney World cast members, uh, which is a lot of fun. It's fun to see what all God is doing there. He's doing great and mighty things. We planted that campus two and a half years ago. And because of all of us together as a church, that campus is able to operate and people are coming to know Jesus. People are getting baptized. People are being discipled. It's a really fun thing to be a part of. Um, But in that campus are, are a bunch of people that deal with tourists a lot. I know we kind of feel it a little bit, but, but here's the thing about, about tourists is they don't, they don't really know where they're going, and so they use, they use these things. There are probably half of you in here who don't, who don't know what this is because they've never seen one of these before, and half of you who uh, have forgotten what these things are. This is a map. These, these, are, these are made by cartographers. Uh, you know, back in the day, uh, say hundreds of years ago, they didn't, there, there weren't such things as maps. Right? And so the way that people would get from one place to another is, is they would um, have a wife who would nag them to go ask for directions, right? And so guys like Ferdinand Magellan got sick of asking for directions as they decided to map the world, okay? I don't know what their motivation was exactly, but that would have been my motivation. I don't like to ask for directions. And so they mapped the world. And then guys like Rand McNally, they built on top of what those, those great old guys did. And, and they put in uh, all the different cities and all the different roads and all the different highways uh, so that you could know how to get to where you were going. Now, I used to be uh, a musician, and so I basically traveled for a living. Uh, and so what I would do, and this was years ago, uh, before some other inventions, I would take a map, a physical map. I wouldn't go to, I wouldn't go to MapQuest.com because there was no MapQuest.com. I wouldn't go to the Google Maps because I don't even know if Google was around at that time. But I would take a map, a physical map, um, and, and I would find the address on the map. And then I would say, okay, that's here I'm here, how do I get there? And it was like a maze. You'd have to figure out how to get there and what was the best route to take. And that was tough because you start driving and you forget, wait, what was the route? When was I supposed to turn? I don't know how many miles I've been driving. You've got to work with your odometer and your map in, you know, in unison. And it's, it's really difficult, really difficult. So, so then there were some amazing people. Um, and I think his name was George Paul Simon. And he, he invented something really awesome. Anyone know what that was? It was the GPS. 
I don't know if it was George Paul Simon, but it should have been George Paul Simon. Whoever it was should change their name to George Paul Simon because that would work with the initials. It actually stands for Global Positioning System. Now, now this is, a, this is one named after the famous explorer and cartographer Ferdinand Magellan. This is a Magellan. Uh, this is, this, this is my, my buddy, uh, Madge. Okay, call, call her Madge for short. Uh, got, got Madge and things changed. Okay, there was a lot of trouble with maps and I still had to ask for directions sometimes, but now I had Madge, okay? And I was way excited about using Madge. We, um, in fact, one time we, with, with Madge in, in tow, we put 7,000 miles on our car in two weeks time. That's a lot of driving. That's like 500 miles a day, which is like driving from Orlando to Chattanooga every single day for two weeks straight. That's, that's a lot of driving, okay? And so, so got one of these to solve all of our problems and solve all of our woes. However, okay, th- this thing right here, this little device right here, I have fought with this device more than any human alive. I have yelled at this device more than I would even think about yelling at all the humans combined in the world, Okay. Because this device has one purpose and one purpose only. That's to get me where I'm supposed to go. It doesn't have to check my mail. It doesn't have to browse the internet. This doesn't have to do any word processing, right? It doesn't have to do any spreadsheets. It just has to get me where I'm supposed to go. And a lot of times it didn't get me where I was supposed to go. I didn't really trust this thing that much because I didn't always believe that it had the most up-to-date maps, that it didn't have the most up-to-date software, the latest and greatest software. I didn't trust that it knew all the detours uh, that, that I that might need to go through, all the wrecks that might be happening, the road construction or the weather conditions. I also didn't believe that Madge cared. <laughs> Why is that funny? I didn't believe that Madge cared and, and that, that she didn't care about how important it was that I got to my destination on time. Sometimes you've got to go to the beach, right? And it's just kind of a, a leisurely, we're going to go on vacation to the beach sometime. And sometimes you've got to get to your wedding on time, right? One of those is more important than, than the other one, right? And, and Madge needs to know that it's so much more important that I get to the beach on time. No. See, Madge would be confused by that statement. She, she would think that I really meant that. No, it's more important to be, be at my wedding on time because that will save years and years of fighting, okay? And so I don't believe that Madge has all the information that she needs to make an informed decision, and I don't believe that Madge cares. Do you ever feel that way about God? God is the one that knows the destination, the where we're supposed to go. He knows that information. And we come to God with these, these great questions like, God, what college should I attend? God, what job should I take? God, I've got this little sparkly ring in this, in this box, and I've got two girls right here, and I need to know which one to put it on the... No, that's The Bachelor. Sorry, I don't know. I was thinking of something different. But I need to know, God, who should I marry? What state should I move to? What is my purpose? What is my mission? Where am I gifted? How can I be used? There's a lot of big questions that we ask God, and they're all in in the form of, God, where should I go? What should I do? God, I need to know where I should go right now. And sometimes it seems to me, it feels like God just says, why don't you head north? What do you mean head north? Are you kidding me? North on the 429? North on OBT? North on I-4, which is really east? I'm confused. How do we know? I don't know, God. Which, what do you mean? Head north. When do I need to turn next? How many miles till I have to turn? 
God, do you understand all the construction that's going on? Do you understand the weather that's going on? Do you understand all that's going on? Do you care about what I, what I want, what I long for, what I hope for, what I dream? Do you, do you care how, you know, all these interpersonal relationships, do you really understand? Do you really care? Do you know? God, what do I do? And a lot of times, you look in the Bible and, and it doesn't tell me if I'm supposed to go to Florida State or uh, the Florida Gators one. University of Florida. Wow. Crazy. Right? Have you, ever, have you ever looked through the minor prophets and it said, thou shalt not go to FSU? Thou shalt not do the chop? See, it doesn't, it doesn't say that. It's, it's not in Hezekiah. Because that's not a book of the Bible. Okay? That was just a trick. It was for all of you. If you laugh, then, then you're smart. Okay? And so... Uh, but, but that's what I do. I come to God with these questions, and I, and I feel like it's not here. What, what do I do? Do you not know? Do you not care? Or perhaps, do you know, and you're just playing a sick game with me? Like you're sitting down at your gigantic 84-inch Ultra HD TV, and you're watching the Brady Channel, and you've got, you've got Peter coming over and saying, hey, watch what's about to happen. Brady, head north. Okay, let's, let's throw in a rainstorm. You know what I'm saying? Does it ever feel like that? Do you, do you ever look at God, relate to God in that way and kind of wonder? Do, do you really know? And if you do know, do you really love me? Do you really care? I, I felt like that a ton of times. And so we're going to be in the book of Acts in a story that doesn't give us the answer to that question. Which is awesome. No, it actually displays exactly what is going on. So why don't you grab the, your Bible. If you don't have one, you can snatch up one of the beautiful blues. It is in Acts chapter 16, page 601. And if you don't have a Bible at home, you are welcome to keep this Bible. And this is kind of the context of what is going on. We've been following uh, the church as it has grown and as it has spread, as God is spreading his, his body, the church, into the known world. And we've been following two specific guys, Paul and Barnabas. And if you'll throw up the map, uh, that'd be great. We're following Paul and Barnabas on their uh, journeys to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. Now, a Gentile is someone who is not Jewish. So most of us are, are Gentiles. When the Bible says Gentile, we say, oh, I can relate. Because that's, that's who we are. We're, we're Gentiles, okay? Not in Jewish people. And so, so they're, they're preaching to the Gentiles. So they go on this missionary journey, their first one, and they go into the area of Galatia and they're preaching the gospel. And then a controversy arises. Do you have to become Jewish to receive the Jewish Messiah, to receive Jesus? Do you have to look Jewish? Do you have to be under the Jewish law and the Jewish system of living in order to receive the Jewish Messiah? And Paul and Barnabas said, no, you don't have to do that. You can just get... Uh, uh, the Jewish Messiah without all of that. But there was a big controversy that arose. And so they traveled down to Jerusalem where the disciples were, the apostles, the one that had traveled with Jesus for three years. And they said, hey, what do we do? And they decided together through the leading of the Spirit that no, you don't have to become Jewish. You don't have to look Jewish. You, you can just get the Messiah through faith, by grace, okay? By grace through faith, that's, that's how we're saved, not of works, not of, of things that we do, not of works of the law, okay? And so, so this was really good news. So Paul and Barnabas, they go back up to Antioch, this lower Antioch over here uh, to the, your, was this right? 
to your right. And then uh, there's this other Antioch over here because Antiochus Epiphanes really liked his name and named a bunch of cities after himself. Okay, so Antioch over here, they go back to their home church and they're celebrating this and they're telling everyone, they're showing this letter that the people of Jerusalem wrote and then they decide, hey, Paul was like Barnabas, why don't we go back into Galatia and share all this great news with them? Why don't we encourage the disciples? Why don't we encourage the people of the churches that we planted? That would be a great idea. And Barnabas says, that's a phenomenal idea. You know what? Let's take John Mark with us. And Paul says, <laughs> this is a good one. Oh, you're serious? John Mark, you remember on the first missionary journey? I know it was a couple years ago, Barnabas, but, but, but he deserted us at the very beginning and we needed him and it made everything really difficult and much harder. And Barnabas is like, yeah, but let's give him another chance. It's been a couple years. And Paul says, I don't give second chances. And, and Barnabas, and they, they get in this big fight and they end up breaking up their team and, and it, was a, it was a beautiful uh, time where we saw that God uses flawed men for his glory, right? He uses flawed people in the Bible to do his great work, which is such good news for me because I'm very flawed. Not as much as you, but I'm still flawed. <laughs> I'm just kidding, way more. And so, and so they split up and God still does great and awesome things and, and he, he takes Barnabas down to the island of Cyprus with John Mark and then Paul takes a guy named Silas and they go up into the area of Galatia to all these cities. And this is where we find ourselves in verse 6. It says, and they, this is Paul and Silas and now Timothy. Uh, last week we learned about Timothy uh, joining the team, the squad. It says, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. And having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, they went uh, and went in Asia, and when they had come up to uh, Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there. He was urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. First thing that I see here is, is, is improper English, okay? Because at the beginning it says, and they went through, and then at the end it says, and we. This is free, you guys. Luke wrote the book of Acts. He also wrote the book of Luke. And this is where Luke joins the team. This is really awesome. Luke joins the team and he becomes an eyewitness of all that happens from here on out in the book of Acts, which is really kind of cool, okay? But that, was, that didn't have anything to do with anything else we're talking about. What, what I want to ask myself is, is, what in the world is going on here? It seems a little bit strange to me, Paul and Silas, that they're going on up into these city, cities, and all of a sudden they know, they know we're supposed to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, but apparently they don't know exactly where. And so they begin to head into Asia, and then the Spirit says, no, don't go into Asia. And they're like, all right, so they go north into Bithynia, and that's kind of the, the B-I that you see up there. They head north up into Bithynia, and then the Spirit of Jesus says, no, don't preach the gospel here. So they're like, all right, we'll head over to Troas. And they head, head over to Troas, and in Troas, Paul has a dream, and they say, well, that is obviously the Spirit speaking, and then they uh, go into Macedonia. It, it seems a little odd. It seems a ra rather strange to me, because you have to think about this, okay, from Antioch to Troas is about a thousand miles. They're walking, right? So from this other Antioch in Galatia, it's 500 miles uh, to Troas. 
So as they go into Asia, and then they're stopped, and then they go up into Bithynia, and they're stopped, they are walking at least 100 miles out of their way if the destination is Troas, right? It takes a long time to walk 100 miles. It's difficult to walk 100 miles. It'd be like walking from here to Tampa. That's a long way, on foot. This, This is a big deal. If I were Paul... I'd be a little bit frustrated. I would have said, God, why didn't you just tell me from the beginning where I was supposed to go? Then I could have gotten there much more efficiently. What's going on here? I can totally relate to this. I don't know if you can or not, but my story looks a lot like this story. Now, I was in college at Baylor University, and after that, uh, I, I, did, I, I went to seminary because I didn't know what else to do. So I went to graduate school, went to seminary, and at seminary, I decided I want to be a mus- musician. I want to do the music thing. And so uh, I I started doing that. And as you all probably know, that musician is a synonym for unemployed. And so uh, I took a little detour for a couple years uh, and lived in my parents' house, which is really attractive to girls. Um, And so I lived in my my parents' basement. And and after a while, my dad uh, was sick of me playing video games and said, Brady, it's time to get a real job. And so uh, I went to community college which is the normal path people take from college to, to graduate school to community college. That's, that's the regular path that people take. I don't know if you know that, but it is. And so I went to community college and started studying computers. I didn't like computers at all, uh, but I studied computers, and then I got a job doing uh, user support, so I spent all day sitting at a desk, answering a phone and saying, have you restarted your computer? And people were mad at me because I was the one that broke their computer, obviously, right? And, and it was crazy. I hated my job. It was awful. But around that time, I met my wife, who was not my wife at the time, because that's not how it works. She was just a, a girl that I met. And then she later became my wife, which was awesome for me. She's amazing. Met, met Jennifer. We ended up getting married. And I found out she has an amazing voice. And I thought, let's get the band back together. Are you kidding me? Let's get out of this job. Let's go do the music thing. And so uh, we did that. We traveled around the country for a couple years, and, and I, I had a lot of fun doing that. And two years into it, Jennifer came to me, and she said, hey, um, I want to quit the band. And I thought, farewell tour followed by reunion tour. Yes, this is awesome. But that's not what she meant. She meant she really wanted to quit the band. She wanted to stop. And she said, I want to quit the band because I feel like I'm supposed to go work at Disney which at the time I thought was a theme park, which it is. But I didn't know why in the world you would travel uh, a thousand miles across the country to go work at a theme park. We had a theme park in Branson, Missouri. It was Silver Dollar City. It's like, couldn't you just work at Silver Dollar City? Same thing, right? Right? No, no, it was not the same thing. I had no clue, but she did. She knew. And so I said, why don't we pray about this for a while? So we prayed about it for a month, uh, and, and a month... Uh, a month into our praying, she came to me and she said, okay, it's, it's been a month. What do you think? And I said, you know, let, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's take another hour and let's pray for it. So Jennifer went down to the creek and she was praying and I was praying. Um, and then she, she came up uh, from the creek and she said, I think we're supposed to go to Disney. And I, and I felt the same way. I said, I, I think you're right. But, but her face wasn't happy. And I thought, why, why are you not happy about this? And she, and, and she said, well, I wanted God to, you know, put a Mickey in the sky. I said, well, did you pray for it? And she said, yeah. And I said, did you look? And she said, no. I said, why don't you go look? So she went outside, and when she came back in, she had tears streaming down her face because she had seen a Mickey Mouse in the clouds. (laughs) 
Now, I understand you can see whatever you want in the clouds, right? <laughs> clouds can do all kind of things, but she had seen a Mickey Mouse in the clouds. And, and because we already felt like God was calling us to do that, Perhaps this was the icing on the cake. Perhaps this was the confirmation. So we went ahead and we, we, we made plans to, to go to Disney. Now, there, were, there are two places that you can work for Disney where they speak English. There's Florida and there's California. And in Florida, there, there are alligators everywhere and there are mosquitoes everywhere. And the humidity uh, is like soup. It's crazy. I don't know if you guys know this about Florida, but the humidity is crazy. In fact, there are only five months out of the year that it's really worth living in Florida. The snowbirds know exactly what they're doing. They are brilliant people. Brilliant people. So we're going to start planning a snowbird church and I'm going to be the pastor there in the north during the summer and here uh, during the winter. But I said, because of these reasons, I don't want to live in Florida, so let's move to California. So we moved out to California. We followed the, the path of the Beverly Hillbillies, and we moved out to California. And in California, I thought, you know what, God, here's what you're doing. Obviously, you're letting me get out of Jennifer's shadow and her beautiful voice and let me be in the rock star. So I was going to continue to do music. Apparently, that didn't work out because I'm a pastor. And, and so I, 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 all these doors began to slam in my face. I couldn't, nothing was working out. I wasn't really able to pursue music. And I didn't understand what was going on. And so I prayed, God, what's going on? What are you doing? Obviously, music is not where you're leading me. Where are you leading me? It's the only thing I found uh, joy in. What do you want me to do? And, and I had to think through it. I prayed through it. I had great godly conversations with, with awesome men. And, and, I, and I was just thinking through, okay, I do enjoy music, but what do I enjoy about it? I wasn't like an artist who created this beautiful art. What I wanted to do was, was send a message. I wanted to tell a message through the songs that I wrote. I wanted to communicate what God had laid on my heart. So I was thinking, how else can I do that? Well, at churches, there's a captive audience. So, well, kind of captive. Um, so I could, I, could, I could go be a teaching pastor. So I thought maybe that's what I should do. And so I started praying through that and, and having conversations and really felt led to do that. So I applied to get to teaching pastor jobs and they said, uh, you don't have any experience. So no. And so I applied to any job at a church and they also said no for some reason. So then I applied for some paid internships, which was really difficult. I don't know if they knew, but I, but I had gone to community college after graduate school, and, and I still didn't get any of those paid internships. So I applied for this one unpaid internship at my church that we were serving in already. After the group interview, I, it was in the bag. I knew it. it. It was in the bag until I got the email that said it was not in the bag. It was out of the bag, and it was in someone else's bag. And I was really frustrated because they didn't even want my time for free. <laughs> they didn't even want me to donate my time and talents. Really? And I was really frustrated. I was, I was really mad at God. You sent me in this direction. What are you doing here? And around that time, Jennifer got a great opportunity in Florida. And so we moved to Florida. And now, I'm a pastor at Mosaic. You're so lucky. <laughs> I wish God would let him stay in California. Uh, but do you see this path that I took? It, it doesn't make sense. The fastest way from Missouri to Florida is obviously through California. And it makes, I mean, if you look at it on the map, that's what it will tell you. If, you. if you type it in your GPS, it will take you through California, right? 
No, that's not the fastest way. That's not the most efficient way. When you look at Paul's journey, God didn't take him on the most efficient route. Why? God knew from the beginning he was supposed to go to Troas and then go to Macedonia. Why is God leading him in this way? And, and even more than that, for me, I think, how did Paul know? Right? One thing that Paul did is he listened. Okay, it's in some way, shape, or form, Paul knew that the Holy Spirit, when they went into Asia, was telling him no. And in some way, shape, or form, Paul knew that when they headed up into Bithynia, the Spirit of Jesus was saying no. And in some way, somehow, Paul knew that when he had this dream, that it wasn't because he had indigestion from last night's dinner, that it was actually the Spirit of God speaking to them. Because Paul listened for the voice of God. In our day and age, in our culture, this is so difficult. There's so much noise. We've got noise pollution everywhere. So many things going on. In America, if someone is talking and you want to say something, you just talk louder. You don't wait for them to stop because that's what we do in America. We're a really loud culture. And then we've got distractions galore. I was sitting in a movie theater the other day, and I was watching uh, one of the you know, superhero movies. No, wait, I'm a pastor. I was, watch- I was watching the Jesus movie. That's what it was. And um, no, I was watching a superhero movie. It was like a biography of my life. And I was sitting here. Uh, I was sitting next to a buddy of mine. And we were, we were there earlier, so we were watching the pre-previews. Okay, you have the previews, uh, and then you have the pre-previews, which are the ones that they show kind of television shows, and the lights are still on. They haven't told you to put up your phone or, you know, you'll, you'll die. You've seen those crazy things that they say. Um, but so I had my phone out during the pre-previews, and I was looking at Facebook, I mean the Bible app, and, and I was also having a conversation with my friend. Okay, three different things were, were trying to grab my attention, and I was kind of paying attention to all three, but I was really paying attention to none of them. But this is our life. This is our world. People walk around with their phones doing something. They've got their headphones in, listen to something else, and, and they're having conversations with everyone else. We instituted this rule at our house is that when we have dinner at our house together with a bunch of people, we have the phone hat, where all the phones go in the hat, and we actually have interactions with one another. It's crazy. I mean, you actually talk to people face to face. So weird. I mean, some people, you know, have withdrawals, and so they talk to you, and their, their thumbs are still moving. But, but that's what we do. We, we have the phone hat, because there are distractions everywhere. And, and what we don't do is we don't take time to quiet our heart to quiet our mind, to quiet our surroundings and listen to what God is saying. Now, say you are listening to the voice of God and and say you hear something, you, you feel something, you think, man, I'm being led in some direction. How do you know that it's the spirit of God and not your flesh, right? How do you know that it's the spirit of God and not the whispers of the enemy, how do you know the spirit of God and it's not, you know, something that you picked up from a movie you watched last night? How do you know? One thing that Paul knew so deeply was this truth. He understood that God never contradicts God. I mean, it's, it seems logical, right? It seems simple, but God doesn't contradict God. And we've got this beautiful system that God has given us to help us get to know what he wants. So we've got the Spirit of God inside of us. If we are disciples of Jesus, if we've been saved, we've got the Spirit of God inside of us that is leading us. And the Spirit of God is always speaking truth to us, always. The Spirit of God never lies. But the problem is we get in the way, right? 
we hear what we want to hear. And, 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 and we, we form it in ways that we want it to, to be formed. So we also have the, the Word of God. This is the authoritative, inspired truth of God. The writers of Scripture uh, uh, were, were carried along by the Spirit of God as they wrote this book. This is the authoritative truth of God. We have this right here. This is amazing. But the problem is that we get in the way, right? We, we see what we want to see in here a lot of times. This is why when I was in college, I chanted uh, while I was doing bench press, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because I thought that it meant that no matter how skinny and small and tiny I was, that I could lift any amount of weight. That's not what it means, right? There's so many times we put, our, we put what we want into Scripture and we say, oh, this is what Scripture is saying. So we've got, we've got the Spirit of God inside of us that illuminates Scripture to us. We've also got the truth of God right here. And we've got the community of God that the Spirit is speaking to also. And so these three things go together, protect one another, and in unison, we can discover the truth of God. We interpret the truth of God in community through the Spirit enlightening to, this to us. Here's one way how this works. In Mosaic, we operate with a group of elders leading our church. And typically, Renault, who's the lead pastor here, he will come to us with some new, exciting, awesome, extraordinary reality. Because, because that, I mean, that's his life. He, he loves it. And he's, he's awesome. And he's always exciting about something new. And, and he makes you excited about these things. In fact, if I had a conversation with him and he fired me, I'd walk away going, yes, that's awesome. I got him. Yes. Fired. Woo. Because that's the way you are with Renault. So Renault comes to the group of elders and says, hey, this is where I believe the Spirit of God is leading us. And then we all discern with the Spirit inside of us, is this, is this where you're leading or is this Renault's lunch, right? And then we pray together and we pray with our spouses. We pray alone. We have discussions and we determine, is this the Spirit's leading? Now, sometimes Renault believes that the Spirit's leading and I don't. And obviously, one of us is wrong at that point. Renault. Uh, what? No, but obviously, one of us is wrong because the Spirit of God doesn't contradict the Spirit of God. And so what we do is we take more time to seek the Spirit, to get into His Word, to pray together until we're in unison. Because we want to know what the Spirit of God is saying, and if we're in unison, if, it's, if it doesn't contradict what's in Scripture, then we feel really good about this is where the Spirit of God is leading us. Now, the question comes in, what if it's not here, right? Who I'm supposed to marry, I haven't found it in here. Maybe it's in the Minor Prophet somewhere, um, Lamentations or something, but, but I haven't found it. Well, I mean, I know who I'm supposed to marry, my wife, but you know what I mean. Before that, where am I supposed to move? I don't know if you know this, but none of the United States is in here. None of the states are in here. So if you're trying to find what state to move, you're not going to find it in here. So what do you do at this point? Which, which leads us to the second thing that Paul knew as he listened, not only that this truth that, that we've got the Spirit, the Word, and the community, and they in unison help us to determine what the Spirit is saying, but then you look at the path that Paul took, and it begins to make us ask a question. This seems strange. Why in the world did he lead Paul that way? It seems very inefficient. 
right? So why in the world would God lead Paul that way? Why in the world would God lead me the way that he led me? It seems really odd, really inefficient, and it can be very frustrating at times. I know that you can relate. It can be very frustrating at times. You see, we are all about the destination. We want to know where we're supposed to go. We ask God, where should I go? We ask God, what am I supposed to do? And and, and we want to know the destination partly so we don't have to rely on God, so we don't have to trust Him, so we don't have to wait on His timing. We want to know the information so we don't have to rely on God just in case He takes too long. This was the thing that Adam and Eve had to deal with. They had to decide. They had two choices. Either I can pursue after God and I can trust that He'll let me know what I need to know when I need to know it. What was behind door number one was pursue God and trust that God would let them know what they needed to know when they needed to know it. Or door number two was get all the information and sort it out for myself. And that's what they chose to do. The enemy said, eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll know all the information. You know, you shouldn't trust God because he didn't know what what it's like to be a human with with another human. He doesn't know what it's like to be a human interacting with animals. He doesn't know what it's like to be a human working on the earth. You need to have all the information for yourself so you can decide what to do. So you don't have to trust God. He takes too long anyways. And so Adam and Eve decided, this is what we're going to do. What we're going to do is make relying on God irrelevant so that just in case he doesn't decide what we want him to decide or he doesn't decide in the timing that we want him to decide, we can do it on our own. We want the destination so we can plan out the route. We are all about the destination. But you, let's think back to the time when, when there were no maps. Okay, how did you get from place to place? How did you find where you needed to go? It rhymes with ask for directions. Anyone? Yeah, you would ask for directions. You would ask people who knew. But once we got maps, we stopped asking people for directions. And then once we got GPSs, we really stopped asking people for directions. And we just yelled at our computers, right? Our small computers. See, at first, we would come to people and we would ask over and over because we were reliant on people. And then we stopped being reliant on people. We became self-sufficient. And because this is the way that we work... We begin to look at the Bible and think about the Bible like it's a roadmap to our lives. But here's the way that God created us. God didn't create us for the destination. God created us out of the overflow of love in himself. And he created us with a specific need, with a specific deficiency. That we would need him That we would need God who is all satisfying. God who is the the spring of living water that never runs dry. God created us to have a need to have him, which was out of love, which was beautiful because now we are drawn to him who is all satisfying, right? This is a good thing. And he created us in such a way that we could only live out our God-given purpose in him, Right? Through him, who is all-sufficient, all-satisfying. Now, we look at the Bible as a roadmap so often, but what it really is, is it's a love letter. This book is not meant to give us the details of our life so we can know where to go. This book is meant to draw us to God. 
draw us into intimacy with the God of the universe, the creator and the sustainer of the universe. Draw us into relationship with him. That's what this is for. And Paul knew this. Paul got this so deeply. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he says, I've done a lot of things in this world. I've gained a lot of things. I've done a lot of things. I've suffered a lot of things. But you know what? It's not about the things. It's not about the things of this world that we tend to get so caught up in and so concerned about, so wrapped up in, so stressed about. He said, it's about knowing Jesus. He says, I want to know him. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And I want to know him in fellowshipping with him in his sufferings. If suffering draws me deeper into intimacy with Jesus, then man, I want suffering. In 2 Timothy, he writes to uh, his, his, uh, his disciple Timothy. This is the last letter Paul ever wrote. He's in prison. He's about to be killed. The last letter Paul ever wrote to his disciple, his son in the faith that he loved, he says, Timothy, Timothy, I know whom I've believed. I know him. Not like I read it in a book and I know about him, but I've experienced him through scripture and through my life. I know him. I have an intimate relationship with him. And because of this, because I know him, I'm convinced he's able to guard what I've entrusted him until that day. I'm convinced because I know him. I've experienced him. This is what it's about. In John 10, Jesus says, hey, to these people that, that don't believe, he says, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep, however, they hear my voice. They listen to my voice. I know them. I know my sheep. My sheep know my voice. I heard this illustration from a, a pastor, and I don't remember who it was, but he was talking about uh, this time that he went overseas, and he was around these shepherds that each had their different flock, and there were these three shepherds, and they brought in their three different flocks, and they had lunch together, and during lunch, the flocks began to uh, intermingle and intermix, and I don't know if you know this about sheep, but they all look alike, right? And so now what do you do? And, and what happened was the, the, the shepherds just left, and as they left, they called for their sheep. And all the sheep began to follow their shepherd, their very own shepherd, because they knew the voice of their shepherd. Sheep don't know a lot. Sheep aren't, aren't very smart animals, but they know the voice of their shepherd. And that's what Paul knew. He knew the voice of Jesus. He knew the voice of the Spirit of, the, of God. And as he listened, he understood it's never going to contradict here. And when I hear a voice, I know it's his because I'm intimately connected with him. I know his character. I know his heart. I know Jesus. So I know when his voice is speaking to me. Throughout my life and throughout my journey, it's been a crazy journey. It's gone through weird detours and strange bypasses and all kind of odd stuff. And what I've learned as I traveled from Missouri to Texas, back to Missouri, to California, to Florida, what I learned was that it's not about the destination. It's about getting to know the person of Jesus Christ. It's about intimacy with God. You know, what, what I tend to do at first, when I look at this passage of Scripture, at first it seems like it's the crazy leading of the Spirit, but it turns out to be the gracious leading of the Spirit. Because we begin to ask the question, why in the world would the Spirit of God lead us this way? And what we should be asking is, why in the world would God lead us at all? You see, He's the God of the universe. 
He's the creator and the sustainer of the universe. In and of himself, he is completely sufficient. He doesn't need our love. He doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need our prayers. And he doesn't need our sacrifices. He's sufficient in and of himself. And we rebelled against him, okay? We rebelled against God. And still, out of the overflow of love, out of his heart for us, he continued to pursue us and he continues to lead and guide us. Why would he do that? Why would God do that? Why would he make a way for us to have a relationship with him and continue to lead us when we rebel against him time and time again? It's not, it's not why would he lead us this way? It's why would he lead us at all? And even more than that, this truth hit me so hard. Not only does God guide us, but he guides us in such a way that it draws us near to him. God doesn't give us a map or a GPS so that we won't live in the illusion of self-sufficiency. You see, we are all insufficient in and of ourselves. We are. We're insufficient. But because of our talents, because of our gifts, because of our experience, because of our knowledge, because of our science, because of our technology, we've become very self-sufficient. We imagine that we are actually self-sufficient. And, 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 and God didn't give us a GPS so that we wouldn't think that we were self-sufficient and run from him further. You see, God, out of the overflow of love in his heart for his creation, for us, he withholds information. He withholds information so we'll have to continually come to him. So we'll have to continually draw near to him. It's not about the destination. It's not about the details. Don't worry about those. Draw near to Jesus. And out of the overflow of intimacy with Jesus, go live on mission wherever you are, wherever you feel called, trusting that, that he will stop you when you start going in a direction he doesn't want you to go, just like he did with Paul in Bithynia and in Asia. And you'll know the voice of the Spirit because you're intimately connected with the Savior. When I look at my life, and I look at this strange journey that went on. If it were up to me, I, I, I would not be here. Had I known from the beginning the destination, I wouldn't be exactly where I am right now. Because I think, just like my GPS thinks, that the fastest route, the best route from Missouri to Florida is, is a beeline through Arkansas and Tennessee and Alabama. But it's not. The best route is through California for me. Because in each and every detour, each and every twist, each and every turn, every time I was frustrated, every time I was lonely, every time I was in despair, every time I was in angry, every time I was confused, I was drawn near to Jesus. I had to come to God. I had to plead with God, show me the way, help me, God, I don't know what to do. I am insufficient, I need your help. I'm weak, I need you. God, help me. And I realized that God continually, out of his love for me, drew me to himself by taking me to Texas and then back to my parents' basements and then to community college and then to a job that I hated and then to not getting jobs and being unemployed and not getting uh, internships. He drew me near to himself. I wouldn't be as close to Jesus as I am had I done it on my own, had I not relied on God, had he not taken me in the way that he did, I have discovered in the last 15 years of my life just the beauty of Jesus. 
what it's like to be intimate with our Savior. How amazing and fulfilling and satisfying is it is to have Him only. So much more than I did 15 years ago because of the path that He took me on. And I'm not sure where each and every one of you are in your journey. What questions you're asking God, what, what you're seeking from Him, what knowledge you want to know, what destination you're, you're trying to hit. But I want to say to you what I believe Paul would say to you. Don't worry about the details. Fall in love with the Savior. Because the way that he leads you is a way that will draw you into intimacy with him. And if you get intimacy with him, then everything else will work out. However it works out. That's that's why Paul, in chains, about to be beheaded, can say... I know him. I love him. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge will anoint to me on that day. And not only me, but everyone who has loved his appearing. Everyone who's passionate about Jesus. Everyone who's pursued after Jesus. Because when you find, when you, when you, when you see him, when you really behold him, when you're captivated with our Savior, It's okay. That's why my dad can go through cancer the way that he's going through cancer. That's why we can go through the deaths of loved ones the way that we can go through it. Because we don't grieve as those who don't have hope. We grieve as those who have hope that this isn't all there is. And that one day, we're going to close our eyes for the last time and we're going to, for the first time, behold in fullness the most beautiful being, the most captivating being, being ever imagined in the world, in the universe, God, Jesus, who came and died for us, who pursued after us, who loves us so much that he won't give us all the information so that we will draw near to him because that is what we actually need. That is where we find life to its fullest. That's where we experience life abundantly. That's where we're able to live out our God-given, God-redeemed, God-restored purpose. What an amazing God we love and serve. Heavenly Father, we need you. Heavenly Father, we need you. Don't let us live in the illusion of self-sufficiency. Don't let us, God, please don't let us Help us to realize our insufficiency so that we will draw near to you. God, thank you for not revealing the whole plan to us so that we have to draw near to you. Thank you for allowing us to be weak so that we can find strength in your spirit. Help us to trust that your spirit is indeed strong in us and that you will never fail. Give us that faith, God. Draw us near to yourself. Captivate our minds, captivate our hearts with you so that we might experience what we are created to experience, life abundantly in you, consumed by you, running after you. I pray that we would trust that you are good and your love is great. We need you, Father God. And it is in the most beautiful name, Jesus Christ, that we pray these things. Amen.